God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. It's great to be with you today. My name is Marcus Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the charismatic, not in a theological sense, Lisa Spencer. (laughs) Lisa, how are you today? I'm great. Although, you know, in a theological sense, that once was me. That was. And now I'm a crusty reformed Presbyterian. Listen, I I didn't I, when I chose the word charismatic, it did not click in my head that that was a theological term as well as a like character term. <laughs> and now you're going to get emails wondering why your your PCA heritage is getting thrown out for the charismatic movement. So, oh my goodness, Lisa, how are you today? I'm, you know, I'm doing well. Just taking one day at a time, and you know, looking at how. These COVID numbers are just, you know, soaring up and, you know, it's like, is there any end in sight? And so you just have to take it one day at a time. And uh, and I was reminded um, through a tweet by, uh, uh, I think his name is Michael Brown. Um, they're speaking of charismatics, he, you know, he is one, but he, he's very, he's very, he's a very thoughtful one. And um and just through the craziness of the see this election season like we've not seen before and COVID and you know he redirected us to this question, what might God be doing through this? And I, it was a really good reminder because we I think we can get so sucked in and pressed down about you know everything that's happening, um, but it was just a reminder. To keep anchoring our hope and our trust in the Lord. Well, and you know we're coming into the right season for that, right? Because Christmas is around the corner, yes. and and it's a time to be reminded why we do the things that we do, yes. why we are who we are, what we believe, what gives us hope, what gives us peace. Uh, the Advent season is one that is about anchoring ourselves in the hope of the gospel and so you know my hope for people is that they're really leaning into christmas i think we need christmas this year more than anything um you know i I remember um i preached a sermon not long before thanksgiving where i told folks i said listen uh let's just make an agreement no bah humbugs this year like none we're just gonna dive in early christmas is cool all the early stuff that's fine play the music early do it all early because we need as much Christmas as we can possibly get. Right. <laughs> so, um, and people are starting yes, early. I, I'm like, what? Yeah. What decoration. Like, we just finished uh, Halloween. What's, what's going Mm-mm. on? No shade from me this year. No, I'm normally uh, a little bit all, like, hey, wait till Thanksgiving, but not this yeah, year. Yeah, all, uh, all of that, all protocol is out of the window for 2020. Uh-huh, you know it. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, 
it is crazy. We're recording this a few weeks before y'all are hearing it um, up here in New York. A lot of us are bracing for school not going back into person again Mm -hmm. after Thanksgiving, and we're kind of going to be doing the online virtual learning again all the way through the middle of January, if not longer. Um, It's just a lot right now, and we're all kind of, we're all feeling it, Mm -hmm. but God's good. Yeah. And and the truth of the gospel remains, and Christ is with us. His Spirit does empower us. Um, and that will lead us to our discussion today, kind of anchoring ourselves in God's mission for our lives and God's mission for the world. And so, Lisa, I wonder if you can kind of just walk us through what are we talking about today and, and why is this an important episode in this particular season when we're talking about issues of justice and race? Sure. So last time uh, we talked about the, you know, what is the end goal for the church? And we focused the conversation on internally in the body of Christ, right? And and especially since we have these different perspectives on race and justice. And how do you reconcile that for the sake of unity, for the sake of, you know, um, striving for that bond of peace, right? Um, and it's not going to happen if we are arbitrarily laying lines down in the sand that shouldn't be laid, you know, where there are, you know, hard lines that should be soft out of concern for not having lines at all. You know, and I get mm. that concern. I mean, we can look back through the course of church history and, and see there, you know, there've always been a ch- there's always been challenges to Christian orthodoxy. Um, And so we do need to take that serious. But at the same time, we also need to be discerning about the secondary issues. Like when does this, when does something become an issue where we're, we're talking about a different gospel? We're talking about heterodoxy. Um, And I think we just need, we just need some humility in that and not be so quick to, you know, to, to rush to judgment, and especially when we're throwing around terms like woke and non-woke and social justice warriors, we need to not be so quick to label. Mm. Find out where that person is actually coming from, because what if they're striving to be faithful just like you? And what oh. if the person that is saying, just preach the gospel, because the way that they've defined their parameters, and that goes back to our conversation in season one, what if they're, they're concerned that the gospel's not being preached, that it's being diluted? At the end of the day, like where, what is the measure of faithfulness? You know, let, let, let's start there and be charitable. Um, and so, you know, how we work this out in the body of Christ is important because when we talk about the end goal, we have to think about our witness to the world. What does that mean for the body of Christ to now go out into the world and be witnesses, right? Acts mm. 1.8, and Jesus yeah. told the, the, his disciples, you shall be my witnesses. And so that is that individual, yes, but more so, it's his corporate body being a witness and and that's really where a lot of the disagreement can play in what is the church's role in being a witness to 
this the culture and society we're in is that something for individual christians to do kind of apart from the institutional church or is the institution is the institutional church supposed to be speaking to the culture right and so um you know, one of the things that I I encouraged our people in my church to, to be right after the election, I said, we are to be people of prayer and uh, to be people who have a prophetic voice, right? You got to, if you're a pastor, you got to figure out how to alliterate things. So prayer and and being prophetic, right? And, you forgot, um, right. There's always three, though. There's, well, I, you know what? I didn't have the time for the third one. It's, <laughs> I, it was, you know, it's tough enough to hear that. But we, we are we are to call our culture and our society to the way of Christ. That's that's part of our role as a prophetic role. And I don't think there are Christians who disagree with that. I think there are Christians who disagree with exactly how that's done. Mm-hmm. And they disagree on exactly who should be doing it. Is that something a pastor ought to do in his institutional role as the pastor of a church? Or is that something individual Christians who are private citizens are supposed to do? And there's really two schools of thought here in the Reformed tradition. And and I'm going to limit it to the Reformed tradition because there's a whole lot of schools out there. Like you get to Catholic public theology and now you're really off to the races. Um, But there are two dominant schools of thought in the reformed tradition there's something called transformationalism which is a nice long 12 letter word and um i don't know if it's 12 letters probably longer than that and then there's two kingdoms a lot of syllables and then there's two kingdom theology transformationalism says that part of the church's role is to um to do the cultural mandate still today which was to fill the earth multiply subdue it um, but there's culture making and culture redeeming. And, and so there's a lot of redemption language. We're going to redeem this. We're going to re- redeem that all for the gospel, all for the church. So it's, you'll even get people like jokingly saying, we're going to redeem our iPhones for Jesus. Right. Look, and and so like. already redeemed for Jesus. I don't know what <laughs> you're talking about. <laughs> so like that. But then there's the two kingdoms folks who would say, no, 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 it's not about redeeming, is these two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Christ, and there's the kingdom of man. And we as citizens in the kingdom of man have a role to play, and we want to be good citizens. But the church is concerned with church things. The church is concerned with kingdom things. And the, and the two kingdoms don't really speak to one another. Um, but if you are a part of the, the, the church kingdom, you only deal with that. So it wouldn't really matter what's happening in the culture. Our preaching calendar is our preaching calendar. It doesn't really matter what's happening in the culture. I'm still going to teach the Sunday school class I was teaching. We're still going to do the things we were going to do. Um, and so it, as you can hear in that, two very different schools of how you approach the culture. And that, if they're coming from it like a theological foundation for culture involvement, and, and th- then they're going to have some strong disagreements and that's okay um but it's you gotta figure out what the foundation is from this person but that's like just the kind of the theological foundations Mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of other foundations out there for people who are trying to figure out how to approach the culture so so lisa i wonder if you can start kind of i'll just ask the question and you can give me your your thoughts on it is there a place or a role for the institutional church so not just individual christians in influencing and impacting the culture does the institutional church have a role in that yes but i would say the motivation is not for transformation of the culture 
as much as it is being a faithful witness to Christ. Okay. Right. So this idea that, you know, we, we have been a redeemed people and therefore we as redeemed people ought to have more insight, more eyes into, um, you know, into right and wrong, into where there has been, you know, those impacts of the fall, um, you know, right within the great commission is actually the great commandment, right? When in mm -hmm. Matthew uh, 28, uh, where he says, go out into all the world and make disciples, teaching them all like commanded. Well, well, what did he command? To love God and love neighbor. Right. And so, you know, what does that look like? And I have found, and, and you know, at least from, from my experience, that churches aren't necessarily the ones who are going out and saying, what can we do, are not necessarily looking what to do. They're responding to what the needs are mm. um, in their influence. And I go back to the, the story of the Good Samaritan, right, which I do think is applicable to the church. And what I love about that story is that it took the Samaritan, right? The, the Samaritan, yeah. the outcast, to come and address the need. I mean, that was really a sharp rebuke to the the listeners of that time yeah. that were hearing that were hearing the story. And it could be a rebuke to us as well. And so is the goal to preach the gospel? Yes, we cannot lose sight of the gospel, right? That is the, our whole reason of being yeah. um we yeah. have to proclaim christ but we proclaim christ in word and deed and so churches that are you know looking around and saying you know out out of the fact that they have been um called by god right into this local assembly to now be a witness to the world it's you know, is that going to have some redemptive features? Yes, absolutely. Um, this idea that we should not be concerned about redeeming uh, anything around us, about, you know, not doing good, right? What does what Paul say out of, um, in uh, Galatians 6.10? You know, do good to all, but especially to the household of faith. So there is a priority there um, of, you know, of the church. But at the same time, there's also this idea that we have to operate out of who we are. And the good, the story of the Good Samaritan in, ought to inform us to say where we see there are issues, where we see there is a problem, let's figure out how can, how can we be Christ's people and respond to this need? And that's not abandoning the gospel. That, that's really, right. it's, it's responding rightly, I think, yeah. to the gospel. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a, I, I, there's all these different motifs in the Bible, right, that help define who we are as Christians. Mm -hmm. Witness is, is one of them. I think another one that a lot of people hold to that might take a little different approach is the, um, the picture of the ambassador mm. who is going out. And when you think of an ambassador, right, even in our own language today, if you're an ambassador, you go to an embassy. And and a lot of us think of local churches kind of like as kingdom outposts, 
right? These are physical manifestations of the kingdom of God right here on earth, as flawed and imperfect as they are, waiting for their ultimate perfection to come in glory. Um, these are places where the kingdom actually has a, a an embassy in this world. And I think some will take that the next step. And they'll say, it's not just my local church that is an ambassador, but I myself am an ambassador in my neighborhood or in my workplace or in my... And so it is part of my role then as a Christian to influence the culture of my workplace, to influence the culture of my school, of my neighborhood for the sake of the kingdom. It's love God, love neighbor. And so, you know, one of the things that, that you can hear a lot of people say, and I, I've said this too, I believe it. The gospel transforms individuals. Transformed individuals then will find themselves in transformed families. Lord willing, the gospel can transform families. The gospel can transform neighborhoods and communities. It really can. If if people are coming to Christ, then values are changing, then their approach to things are changing. And that's when you see, um, even, you know, it's kind of like a bottom up. Even then you start to see policy changing. Because the people are coming to Christ, they're turning and they're wanting to transform everything mm -hmm. to be a part of, to be better in line with who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. The question is, because again, I don't think very many people have a problem with that. The question is, do we also engage in a top-down approach while we're also doing our neighbor work? Right. So not in not in place of mm -hmm. loving your neighbors, trying to lead them to Christ, seeing your neighborhood transformed. But while you're doing that work there, should we also be involved in the top down work of impacting policy? Ooh, you know, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I, I am more inclined. You know, I do think that there are there is a role for certain people. Right. So you can look at the work that um, ERLC does. Yeah. You know, that is a perfect example of it's not church, it's a parachurch, but an organization that is responding to the culture, trying to have some type of Christian influence on the culture. For the church itself, that's where I, I start I, I, I start hedging a little bit. Um, because I am of the belief that you know, responding out of our witness means we, you know, respond to needs. But at the same time, it's, you know, when we start looking to, to influence policy, you know, from the top down, I think that, that we can start risking um, a losing our priority of, okay. you know, of, of preaching the gospel of, um, you know, making disciples. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's my personal view. Um, mm -hmm. I know you th think a little differently on this than I do. Um, and I think that that's the part of the problem that we're seeing today. Um, because yeah. we're looking at folks and, and there, you know, there are some churches and those who are more attentive to issues mm -hmm. of race and justice making their congregations, you know, having their congregations have a focus on that to the okay. extent where I have to question, like, are, are you, are you anchoring all of this in, you know, in the gospel? Are you anchoring this in, you know, um, 
you know, people not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of their mind. And their, the yeah. renewing of their mind is based on, you know, what, you know, what has God said? Who, you know, who is he? Are we really examining that? Or will we, are we so intent on changing culture, right? Because here, and here's, here's, here's the, the arg argument, or, or, you know, I think one of the, the distinctions Right, especially when we talk about um, addressing systems, right? Yeah. Which I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with, but the idea is that it, you know hearts do need to be changed, and sometimes mm -hmm. I think that the focus when we start talking about a top-down approach, the focus could be so much on systems that we lose the heart transformation, because we can change all the systems in the world, but what does it matter if we're not making, if we're not really making disciples? Okay. And I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. The, the primary charge of the church, right? Their mission is to, make disciples of all nations that's what we do right our primary and i i'd like to separate these two because i think they're important they're distinct our primary purpose is the right worship of god our primary mission is to make disciples mm -hmm. no problem with any of that but if i could push back a little mm -hmm. and just ask because um you and i are both pro-life you and I both hold to a traditional view of um, sexuality, gender, marriage. Uh, I say a traditional view, but really the biblical view. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the approaches is to tackle this legislatively and through policy. So I guess the question is, why those issues and not other also biblical issues? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if there's an answer to that. I'm just, that's, that's the immediate question is like, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good one. I, I really do think it's a good one because this has come up in, you know, conversations of the spirituality of the church, right? Yes. That, you know, that the church should not, you know, engage in civil affairs when it comes to this particular issue. It absolutely does mm -hmm. engage. So I, I, I do think that that's a valid question. And I think that's where we have to admit that our, yeah. when, especially when we start talking about issues of race and justice, when, you know, when we start bleeding over into the lines of political affiliation, right? Because those right, who right. lean more left and are, you know, wanting for there to be some type of government redress. Yeah. Um, less so on the right. And that doesn't mean, and let's clarify this because we talked about this last season, just because somebody doesn't want government involved doesn't right, mean right. they don't doesn't want to care. That they don't care. Sure. We need to you know, right. stop that. Sometimes that is. No question. But for those who are, you know, lean uh, politically left, the solution is that, yes, let's do this um, through governmental means. Whereas you find those on the right, because those on the right, if they're principled, want smaller government, want right. more limits. So no, we don't want to have the government dictate to us how we are supposed to live. 
Um, and so that's that's where we need to be careful when we start making these arguments about, well, this is biblical. It's like, okay, well, we have to also account for how we're working that out politically. Yeah, and, and it is a challenge, right? And, and this is why both of us have said um, we would never make a perfect, like, cookie-cutter progressive or a per cookie-cutter conservative. It doesn't work that way. We have a different... Um, a different ethic, a different politic that we're working out of, and that's the politics of the kingdom. And and so, yeah, I, I think when it comes to culture change, one of the things that can happen, and, and I, I want to hear the warning that you gave and agree with it because I think it's important, we can abandon the bottom-up approach in favor of a top-down approach. That's absolutely going to train wreck your church. It's going to train wreck your your faith, really, because the reality is top-down approach, man, that is a long, painful, difficult, and ultimately frustrating task. Um, the bottom-up approach isn't exactly a bed of roses, but it is a little bit easier to have those conversations with your neighbors than it is to try and pass a piece of legislation, mm -hmm. right? And, and so I think for those Christians who lean left, it's don't lose sight of the primary purpose or I mean the primary mission of the church, which is to make disciples. Um, and then I think what I would encourage our brothers and sisters that lean right to consider is we have decided there are a couple issues where the church does want to pursue policy change. Mm -hmm. It's not an across the board. We don't care about policy because there are these issues where we care. Be kind towards those who just have more issues in that basket of policy can affect this. And that especially gets to justice and race. Um, because this is one of the things that always happens when you get to race conversations. Heart change versus policy change. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a false dichotomy. But I think a lot of people especially in the church, will say, if you don't change the heart, changing the policy doesn't do any good. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure I agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, so when you, when you think about people who are changing these policies, Lisa, or want to, to change policy, you are as committed as I am to loving your neighbor. Mm -hmm. That's just... Why do you think the policy approach is, in the end... Or do you think it's in the end going to be ineffective? And, and if you do, why? It, you know, it depends on okay. what the issue is. And again, getting into, you know, political difference, um, you know, let's take the issue of affirmative action, for example. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where those who lean left will say, yes, we have a, you know, we still have these, you know, inequities, this, you know, these disparities and therefore, we need to give, um, you know, those without a leg up, yeah. you know, whereas those on the right will say, no, we need to create equal opportunity. Right. And I'm I'm actually more of that camp. And I say, let's let's address it earlier so that by the time yeah. that teenager gets to college, they're on an equal footing. Right. That means going into the hood and addressing school disparities at a much younger age, way before somebody gets mm. to college mm. and, you know, and, yeah. and do the necessary steps 
to help that person get to college um, or, you know, or a trade or, you know, to, to progress yeah, in life, yeah. whatever avenue they're going to progress. So, um, but that's one where if we're not careful, and I, I can list a number of, uh, you know, different policies, if we're not careful, we can insist on an imposition that may not you know, may not give people the opportunity. It may not ultimately be fair. Okay. Um, okay. And so that to me is another issue because listen, we do have, we do have political differences, right? If, yeah. And not just talking about me and you, but yeah. as Christians, you know, mm -hmm. how do we, again, looking at the issues, if we're looking at scripture and what should inform are what we care about, we, we should, you know, find that there are issues that fall on the right and issues that fall on the left. Um, and so the person who, um, you know, leans left may be, you know, neglecting some issues on the right that need to, you know, that, that, uh, that also need to be addressed and, and vice versa. So, yeah. you know, again, when it's, when it starts bleed, when you start talking about policy, and it starts bleeding into political affiliations and those, and, you know, and the undergirding ideology that accompanies, you know, that accompanies that. Then I do think, I do think that we need to be careful. You know, for a person who's yeah. advocating for minimum $15 wage yeah, yeah. is, you know, has a different perspective for someone that says, yeah, that's actually going to hurt people and it's going to hurt the the lower rungs the very people that 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 is designed to help um yeah and so we have to account for those kind of those kind of differences and so when we talk about the church now getting involved let's say a local congregation yeah. starts advocating for policies well one we've run the risk of violating people's conscience mm. um and it, it can it can really divert from again the you know the foundation of what the church yeah. is supposed to be well and, and i i'm glad you took it there because I, I think that's the right place to take it next um local churches and local congregations when they're dealing with policies um i think that a couple things have to play in here um what is the culture of your church that plays a role the culture of your church mm -hmm. plays a role. You can't just ignore the culture of your church when you start talking about policies. Mm -hmm. And two, how local is the policy? Local churches should be concerned with local communities and local things. Um, you know, speaking, you know, a pastor speaking at a school board meeting for me feels entirely okay um, because it's in that person's community. They're serving that community. I think one of the dangers is when we start talking on a national level as local church pastors, we're no longer dealing with the people who are in the pews, but we're, we're preaching to a non-existent choir. Um, and that's, that's something that can be really problematic. I think I also there again. was this say, strange... I'm, I'm sorry, say that again what I was, because you broke up a little. Yeah, what I was saying was, I think what can happen is we, we start looking at large national policies... Mm -hmm. 
and speaking to those things rather than the things our congregants are actually dealing with. Mm-hmm. And we're no longer really being faithful in shepherding those folks. Right. Um, because we're speaking to these national things. Like, speak to the local issues, cool, like things that people in your congregation are wrestling with Mm -hmm. and bringing biblical guidance to it. Most likely, that's more effective in a Sunday school class or a Bible study than it is from the pulpit. Um, But I can see that much more being much more effective. Um, But this is also an area where I think local churches have to be super careful. You brought up conscience. And... um, I know it pains people, but it's just true. You are sitting in a church with people who vote differently than you, who have a different perspective on politics than you. That's just the reality of it. And that is why I think pastors especially need to be militant. They cannot ever endorse a candidate or a political party. They can't do it. Doesn't mean they're not allowed to be a part of a political party. I'm saying from the pulpit, from a position of God-granted authority, Mm -hmm. you can never say you should vote for this person here. And you can never say if you vote for that person over there, you have sinned and you're, you know, you can't do it. Sorry. That's not, that's too far. That's crossing a line. And I know that leading into the election, there were a lot of people who were saying church, you know, pastors need to stand up and they need to be strong and they need to. No, I'm sorry, no. And it's on both sides. We are sides. not activists. I mean, let's, let's be clear. It's a, it's on both sides. If you vote Democrat, if you vote for Trump, it's on both. Mm-hmm. It was on both sides. Mm-hmm. No question. And both sides cross that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a it's an inviolable line. And for some reason, eight years ago. We all agreed that that was an inviolable line. It changed, man. It, it changed. changed. And and here's the biggest concern. That in our pursuit of culture change, we end up in church change. Mm. That should terrify people. Mm-hmm. If our pursuit of culture change leads to church change, and by that I mean we begin to lose some of our own boundaries, mm-hmm. our own commitments to the gospel, our own commitments to our community and to the unity we have in Christ, well then we haven't changed the community. The community's changed us in a negative way. We need to be we need to be shutting things down. Amen. And you know, I love what our friend Karen Ellis says that mm-hmm. the you know, the kingdom of God is it's not just countercultural, it's other cultural. Right. It's other political. And that comes, you know, when we talk about the two kingdoms, that, you know, we have to keep that in focus. And I think part of what the, what we're seeing today and the problem is, is that, right, I think we have let too much of our social political affiliations impact the church. And that's why we're, we're seeing all of this tension, the tension that we're yeah. seeing. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things that, that pastors should kind of, almost continually keep in front of their congregants is that the goal here when we speak to anything that is cultural or social is not to move people in a rightward or a leftward direction is to lead people in an upward direction right we want them to be thinking about the kingdom and too many of these issues have been co-opted by right and left that when people hear pastors speak to a particular issue they immediately think Oh, well, they're trying to pull this right. They're trying to pull this mm-hmm. left. It's become very difficult 
to pastor people in public things, in social things. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. Like this is not this is not an easy time for pastors to be walking their congregants through political theology. Yeah. And so I think what we have to do is just kind of overemphasize. I'm not speaking to the partisan world we live in right now. I'm speaking to things of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. We're trying to go there. And if that sounds like the left, if that sounds like the right, then that's purely coincidental and not programmed. And uh, I don't know, man. I wish that it was possible to do this. Maybe it is. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the further away we get from the election, the easier it will be to get back to that place. Mm-hmm. But I'm a little bit concerned that every four years we're going to be right back here freaking out. Um, And it concerns me because it shows that the church has become less and less effective at true culture change because we've bought in. Like you can't change a culture you're bought into. And I feel like we bought into it a little bit. And so. Yeah. And, you know, and I've heard some a few pastors, Christian leaders um, advocate for you know, instruction or, you know, having discussions in political theology, how, how that shaped, you know, having a Sunday school series, you know, some kind of instruction that really get, gets us to a place of, you know, how we are filtering, um, you know, our, how, how we are, are filtering these political um, ideas you know, through the lens of scripture, you know, because how is it? I mean, this is what we talked about last season. How is it that we're look, we're reading the same Bible, right? But, uh-huh. you know, I lean one way, you lean the other way. And we need to, you know, to have to be open and having those discussions of why that is. We can't yeah. wait until we have an election, especially not an election like the one we've had this year, right? Yeah. We can't wait to get to that point. It has to be done before. Uh, but I think you're, I, I do think you're right, and and I do see that there is is so much so much of the the socio political affiliations and ideologies are seeping in seeping into the church, and um and, and we really need to assess we really need to assess our priorities. Yeah, amen. Well, that's a good word to end on. Uh, thank you, Lisa, for a fun conversation today. I mean, it's a challenging one. It's a helpful conversation because it set the stage for some of the things we're going to be talking about going forward. There are different views of what culture change will look like. And so when we talk about issues of justice and social justice or biblical justice, which we need to do an episode, by the way, on why the phrase biblical justice is inadequate for me. Um, we'll get there. Uh, you know, so there, yeah, there I'm you all go. For, I'm, all for, I'm all for biblical justice, but we can talk about that. <laughs> Me too. I'm all for biblical justice, but Ananias and Sapphira was biblical justice. I'm not sure people actually want biblical justice. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, so, like, we can get into that one at some point. But whatever the terms are, we have to be very careful that in our pursuit of culture change, we don't allow ourselves to get warped. So thank you for sharing that. It's going to be helpful going forward to have had this conversation. Um, we hope people have been enjoying this season. I know it, we're kind of getting into some of the weeds of uncomfortability, um, but that's okay. We have to be able to talk about uncomfortable things as brothers and sisters. And our hope, as always, is that we are able to model 
how you have these conversations between people who disagree so that when you go into your churches and when you go into your, you know, your holiday season meals and all that, have conversations, disagree well. You're having a family discussion. You're not having, a, you're not going to war with one another. That's our prayer for the show. That's our prayer for you. We love you and we will see you again next week. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion.